But it, it's my honor this morning. I, it's been over 10 years since I've had the chance to stand before you and give the message for the morning. When people ask, are you preaching this morning? I say, no, I'm giving the message. <laughs> so is, is, uh, preaching is not necessarily my forte, but um, I am a trained, if you want to say trained and gifted by, uh, the, by the Spirit in teaching. And so this morning, in taking to you the Psalm 16, I will do what I do in regards to it and simply unveil Psalm 16 to you. And, and, and what a great joy it was when um, Brad had asked if I could fill in on July 2nd. And I, didn't, I figured it was a psalm. I didn't know which psalm it was. And when I saw it was Psalm 16, I said, perfect. I love Psalm 16. In fact, I use Psalm 16, and I, I will do this a little bit later, is that when I'm in a position where my role calls for a blessing to be given, is that I use Psalm 16 as my blessing of, if you want to say phrases, to the people who I'm bringing the blessing to. And, uh, and so in doing so, is that putting together this message this morning for you was a great joy for me and an encouragement to me throughout the week. And my prayer for you this morning is that as I unravel these verses to you, is that your heart will be encouraged as well. We're going to be making a turn in the Psalms, is that I keep up with the Psalms, the Arapagus. Um, questions that some of you um, have been using from week to week. I, I work through that throughout the week, so I usually sit down with Brad and kind of say, okay, give me kind of a, a quick five to ten minute overview of, of the psalm, and then I study the psalm myself to, in order to come up with those questions. And so I've been keeping up with this, and, and I, every week I go to Brad and I go, why are you picking these impeccatory psalms? I said, they are brutal. <laughs> so, so when I saw it, Psalm 16, hey, we're not going to curse anybody today. <laughs> uh, okay, you're not going to get the license to just, you know, basically just tell somebody, excuse the language, but just to go to hell. <laughs> uh, today it's going to be different. We're, we're going we're to see what it is to really praise the Lord, and we're going to celebrate the past, the current, and the future faithfulness and security of what God has given to us this morning as David brought it to us. So let me start with a word of prayer. We'll get into this. They told me I only have 40 minutes. Troy cracks me up when, when, I, when he puts together this, the worship service. He has it down to seconds. Did you know that last song was, was going to be four minutes and 35 seconds? I don't know how long this is going to take. <laughs> so um, I, I promise not to keep you here too late. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the great privilege to bring this psalm to these great saints here. And, and that in doing so, that as I speak through it, is that the, that the, the Spirit of God, your, your Spirit, would work through me into the hearts of the people here. And that at the end of this psalm, as as much as David blesses you 
is that you have blessed us by giving us your word. So this morning, as we do this, and as we go to the Lord's table, may our hearts be lifted up in great joy before you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Psalm 16, and um, what I will begin with, I will read, it's only 11 verses, which I was really relieved with. I think last week was it 31 verses of that then I would tell you is you should bring a lunch. <laughs> but uh, 11 verses, and, mo- and most of these verses actually uh, were given to you in couplets, in, in two, two verses into one. And um, so this really works well with this. But let me read from Psalm 16. And, and in your Bible, it, it should start off with the word that it's a mictum of David. So first of all, I, I went to look at what is a mictum. And if you, if you have a footnote, it probably says on the bottom of it, it's probably a musical or liturgical therm, term. Okay, well, which one is it? It, that's, that's a way for the scholars to tell you, we have no idea what it means. And, um, and then when I looked up the history of the term, it's all over the place. That It, it may be an engraving. Um, others say that it's some golden thing. And others say that it is a musical term. And others say it's a liturgical ther- term. Uh, they don't know, and the only, place, the only places that it's used in the book of Psalms is Psalm 16, and then Psalm 56 through 60, it says that those are mictums too, and again, who knows, but it's, it's something, but anyway, this is a mictum of David. Um, all right, so we'll take it from there, but here's what David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your body, holy, or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, the, the the theme through these psalms that that Brad has picked through the years has been the theme on the the messianic theme of it. And, and this, this psalm you're going to see is directly, in fact, the interpretation of some of the verses are only really revealed until you get to the New Testament. They're clearly revealed, and, and they are repeated by both Peter and Paul. And from when we get to see what they say about it, 
then it gives clarity to some of the verses in this psalm, which is a great hermeneutic for us, and it's a great reminder to us is that when I am interpreting the Old Testament, first I want to step back and I want to understand what did the hearer understand with this, but did he fully understand it? And it isn't until Christ comes, and, the, and basically the New Testament is given to us that we see the fullness of what many things in the Old Testament meant to be. And so we'll see that this morning. But let me start, first of all, with verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You know, the psalm starts out with exuberant worship. It is that it starts out, and in these three, or in these two verses, David uses three different names for God in the first few verses. It's just he, he's, his praise is such that he pulls upon the names of God. And I did a lesson at Country Bible a couple of weeks ago. We, we do in the summer what's called a multi-generational Sunday school where parents bring their children in and we do all ages, grandparents, parents, and children. And we went through a lesson on the names of God. We went through it is that there are hundreds, hundreds of names of God throughout the Bible. And, uh, but David here in, in the midst of two, two verses, and he didn't write them in verses, he basically wrote a sentence there, is he addresses God in three different names here. The first one is when he, when he uses the term here, um, O God, here is the Hebrew just word El, E-L. And, and that's usually hyphenated into something else, but the, the word El itself is, is just a name that's commonly just translated as God, but it usually associates with the might and the strength of God. So there's like El Shaddai, El Ayon, all these other things to kind of strengthen what the El is. So he starts out with just the, just the, the pronouncing of just who God is. And then when he says, um, I say to the Lord, is the, the word Lord here is the word Yahweh in the Hebrew, and this is the sacred name of God that the Jewish people, even today, don't speak it. Of, is that it's, this is when Moses asked God, so, so who do I tell him, what's your name? Who do I tell him? Is that this is the name. God said, my name is. And so he uses that term there. And then the, the, the third one is, I say to the Lord Yahweh, you are my Adonai. And so this is another term for Lord. So interesting that he uses three different terms for God, but it's just bursting out in praise right away with this. And, and it's, in, in doing so, it expresses to us that God, as the creator of all things, he's the preserver of life, as we'll see throughout this psalm here, and that in him and him alone, we're going to see that David finds refuge. It's, it's what, what Paul says in, in this familiar term for a lot of you now. When Paul was at the Areopagus of, in Acts 17, he said, it's in him, in God, that we have life and we move and we have our being. And so his statement in, in this psalm here 
that in you I take refuge. The you is emphatic. It's in you and you alone. There is nothing else that I find refuge in. By refuge, it's protection and that it's preservation through troubles, dangers, and through the trials and distresses of life. And David had them. He, he had them physically before him, not only just emotionally, is that he had these things actually physical types of distresses and dangers that are before him. And, and what David is indicating that it's not behind his army as the king is not hiding in caves where he's really finding refuge. It's not the fortresses that are built. It's that he doesn't find refuge there. His refuge is in the Lord. It's there. And David knows that God will do such things as what we would read in Isaiah chapter 41. I'm going to put up that slide there. And I didn't realize it was going to be such small print for you there. Uh, it is for me too. But, but let me read this and, and, and listen carefully about this, about being, God being your refuge. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. So fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you, you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And then Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah writes here from the Lord, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am him, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. All those promises of God there, and I'm glad as I look out, there's many of you who have hair like me, that even in our old age here, it says in our gray hairs that God will carry us and that will bear with us, okay, and he will save. Um, and David knows that. David knows that in the midst of all the things that are going on. He, and he, he, he trusts, and in, in, in if, I, if I put my trust in things outside the Lord, then I am not taking refuge in him alone. David's trying to implore to us, put your trust in God alone. It involves trusting yourself to the Lord's security and his strength. It's a theme throughout the Bible. This theme occurs 14 times in the Psalms alone. And such as in Psalm 46.1, where it's very familiar to you, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. And Psalm 34.8, O taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
So David calls God is, and through the psalm here in Psalm 2, I mean Psalm 1 verse 2, he's Psalm 16 verse 2 is of David calls his greatest good is that God is his greatest good and life flows from him. In Psalm 73, 25, David makes this statement, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. But the thing is, we all have earthly treasures that we hold on to. Is that, that is, he's not excluding those kinds of things that I should just give up everything and just basically just live this monastic life to God. Is that, no. Is that we, we have earthly troubles, and, but we see the value of those, trial, those earthly things when trouble comes. Is that when, when something strikes us, then all of a sudden we see the value of those earthly things. Is that it's, it's a situation last year, it was about this time, that Deb and I had our earthly treasures shook is that somebody hacked our bank account. And, and, and I remember the panic that I had at that time. And at the same time, it was a, if you want to say a spirit rebuke as we were going through that. Is where I, it was almost like I was thinking everything's lost because somebody got into my bank account. Well, the Lord was gracious to us is that we got it we were able to catch it just in time, and it and we didn't get our money taken in the, in that situation. But I I remember the feeling of it, and then suddenly thinking about that a little bit. So so what if someone got all that money, uh, all five dollars? <laughs> but but it was a rebuke to me at the time in regards to it. And, and, and then think about the illness of a loved one, how that, what that brings about to you, what, what you wouldn't do, what you wouldn't do for their healing. Is that, what are we trusting in? And it, the thing is that to realize that treasures are not the ultimate. They're not the ultimate. We, we cannot deal with properly with things of life until you realize what Jordan Coughlin wrote in one of my favorite songs is, is the song is that hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Uh, all I have is Christ. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so we move to verses 3 and 4 now. 
where David writes, and as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The, the, the saints in the land are those who delight in God. Is that we're, we're sitting here this morning with the saints in the land who delight in God. Um, and and if, you, you've, if you delight in God, you should delight in his people. Um, is that is delighting in God and delighting with one another with this. Now, sometimes that takes a lot of grace to delight in all of God's people. But we're called to do so. And and what God has supplied for us is grace to us. Is that before the Lord, I'm not all that lovable either. Uh, But he loves me and he gives grace to me. And so what he has supplied to me, I need to supply to others as well. And note note that what it says about God's people. First of all, you sitting here who know Jesus Christ is that you are saints. In other words, you are set apart as glorious ones. The, The word saints just means glorious ones. And they are excellent. They're noble. You're washed. You're cleansed. It is, is that we were renewed by the blood of Christ. Is last week at Country Bible, I, I preached from Colossians 3. I, I said preach, but I taught. <clears throat> from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. And, and it's, this is a reminder. What, what are we to think of the congregation of God's people with who we are to one another? Where, where Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, what we are to put on is compassionate hearts. The word compassion here means to have bowels of mercy. Is that compassion isn't just this thing I do. It's not an action. Compassion is an emotion that comes. It's from the bowels. It's something inside of me. I have to. I have to. I have to give compassion. I have to give mercy to the people around me. And Paul says, put that on. And then with that, the kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, okay? Bearing with one another. That means that, okay, I'm going to put up with your stuff, <laughs> okay? To bear with one another. And, and, and I also pointed out that Jesus had to do that too. When he, he made the mention of the fact that he said to his disciples, you know, that how long do I have to bear up with you? <laughs> but, but we have to bear with one another, and if anyone has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What brings sorrow to David are those who are chasing after other gods. Back in early May, Pastor Brad covered Psalm 1, which noted the difference between the saints of God and those who are chasing other gods. Where in Psalm 1, just a reminder of that is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
And later he says, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And note the speed of things is that, you know, we're slow to go to the Lord. And, and we, we end up creeping along in our thirst for God. And, you know, we call this kind of our spiritual growth as we go along. And it's, it's part of it as we go along. But notice that those who pursue the world run with sprinter's speed to the world. And they, the faster they go, the greater the sorrows that they will acquire as they go along. Matthew Henry write, wrote this in terms of this. He says, those who multiply gods multiply griefs to themselves. For whoever thinks one God is too little will find two too many and hundreds not enough. Uh, is that those who run to the world can't get enough. They can't get enough. So we, we, why do they run to those gods? Why why at times do we run to those gods? It's because we think in them we will find delight. We think we'll find joy, with pleasures and happiness. But what ends up is that we, we end up with drink offerings to those gods. And thinking that by submitting to this is that it's a transaction. This is what the people did in their, in their pagan deity. And this is what we see in the world today. That if I just give myself to this, it's a transaction. As I'll get so much in return from them is I'll get the favor, basically, of this God. David says, don't even name it on your lips. Don't even let it hit your lips. Do not speak of that type of thing. For the church cannot participate in those kinds of things. The church cannot participate with the world. James 4, 4 addresses this. And he talks about pursuing other things from the, away from the church, pursuing other gods. And he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The church is not to be friends with the world. So now, we're to reach to the world, we're to bring the gospel to the world, but we're not to be friends with the world. And we need to see the world for what it is. It's the, it is the world. And it will never match what God offers to us through Jesus Christ. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6, he writes, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Note here that he doesn't say that he has a cup and a portion from the Lord. He says, the, the, My portion and my cup is the Lord. It is the Lord. It's not from the Lord. And that... The Lord is his portion and cup. There, there's, there's nothing needed or desires that the Lord has not supplied to the psalmist David. There, there is a royal luxury that we have as believers in having Christ in this life. And even more so in the inheritance and the life to come. And, and so David's lot is to be content. It's to be content of the Lord in his life. And that this lot in life and gratitude to the blessings the Lord has bestowed on him. There's no desire on his part to seek anything else. For basically, the Lord is enough. My cup is full. The Lord is, if he's my cup, my cup is full. And David is content. 
the lines the Lord has drawn for David is this, is that David is the king. He's a king. And he's a special king that the the Lord has drawn a line for him to discover. And it's for each one of us, is that the Lord has a line for all of us. What are we to be? What is, it, what is it that we are to be and to discover and to find contentment in what God has given to me in regards to it? So who are you? You know, what, what defines you? What is the line that God has placed on you? And when you discover those kinds of things, you find a pleasant place. And so where are you finding contentment? Of? When you look about us in our culture and consider contentment, we realize that discontentment is one of the major issues And it's a major issue that we struggle with too. For the commandment, the commandment that was given to Moses, do not covet. Do not covet. And we end up fixating on things that we don't have or what others have. We're no different than Adam and Eve, who had the whole of the garden, had everything. And with that, everything except for one that was prohibited from them. The fruit of one tree And what did they fixate on? What they couldn't have. They fixated on that. No, you have Christ. You have Christ and be at peace concerning what God's will and what God has given to you. Uh, For if you have a Christ, then indeed you have, what David said, a beautiful inheritance. Okay? Beautiful inheritance if you have Christ. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The the word bless in the Hebrew is the word barach. And it it means to kneel. It is that if if you ever... If you go to the Middle East or you hear it on TV and you hear even in Arab and even in Arabic, it's the word to kneel and you, you see somebody with their camel and you ever see the camels kneel, is that they'll say, Barak, Barak, and the camel will kneel. Well, that's the word to bless, the bless. And, and with that, it's, some, it's a symbolic way of saying that worship and bestowal of good to someone the, the word comes from different uses, and the different uses of this is the first use is that the Lord blesses us. The second use of it is that we bless the Lord. And the third use of it is that we bless each other. And David here is exalting the Lord, and he's exalting the Lord who gives him counsel. Just like the different uses of blessing, there is with counsel. The word for counsel means to give purpose and to give plans to. And the prophets use it to recall God's eternal plans and his word and constant need for instruction for the people would be counsel. And we're seeking counsel all the time. Is that when the things of life baffle us or we're feeling overcome by something or someone, is that we go and seek counsel. The question is, where do you go? Where do you go for counsel? Who counsels you? Is that David was buffeted by a variety of things in his life. He, he had, a, you think you have family issues? David had extraordinary family issues. He, he caused trouble as a son. Is that 
with as a brother, as a husband, he was awful. As a father to his children, he was worse uh, for this. He had plenty of issues, and then he becomes king. Uh, and he had plenty of issues as king with it. And, and so where did he go for counsel? Where, where did he find instruction? Who, you know, who was going to be his therapist? Stuff? And, and what he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord who is the one who counsels him. And, and obviously, as we read through the story, he got counsel from other sources, but it was only the Lord's counsel that ever succeeded for David. Um, and, and so, who counsels you when, when you seek counsel about something? Do you seek biblical counsel? Is that because whom you go to, just because they're a Christian, does not guarantee you that it's going to be biblical? Uh, is that in many cases, you may be receiving what Paul calls the elemental counsel of the world. And your, your, the advice may be well-meaning, but it's not counsel from the Lord. Um, you need counsel from the Lord. You need people around you who are going to speak the word of God into your life when you're going through troubles. You know, you think about the, the many things that maybe you're going through right now, many things that you may have gone through in the past. Is there, is, do you suppose that there's something that you're facing right now or something that you've ever faced before that the answer is not in here? It is. The answer for all of it is in here. And so there's nothing missing from here that addresses our, the things of our life. And my biggest problem through my life is has not been the problem. The biggest problem has always been my unwillingness to bless the Lord and hear the counsel of his word. That's my biggest problem. And it's yours. It's yours as well. So he says, hey, do worries keep you up at night to this? Guess what? He'll counsel you even in the night. Uh, Spurgeon says this, wise men see more with their eyes shut by night than fools see by the days with the eyes open. And it's the, with the word of God counsel you that even in the night when you're awake, stuff is rather than going over and over and over again of what your problem is, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in the counsel of his word. And, and so what do you do with counsel that you get from the Lord? Well, I, I need to meditate on it and I need to put intentional action that will guide me as I trust in the path that the Lord leads me on. This verse says this, is that he will take you by the hand. He'll be at your right hand so that I will not be shaken. It's a great promise. Be there. Isaiah 41.13 says this, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. The picture of the right hand is symbolic of the strength of, the, of um, most people and the, their dominant hand is their right hand. And so, so the Lord Jesus also, he even needed it at a time, is that he's struggling at the Mount of Olives the night of his betrayal and his arrest. And in Luke 22, Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then it says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven who strengthened him. 
Even Jesus needed strength, and it came from the Lord. came from the Lord. Verses 9 and 10. Okay, now we get to the messianic part of this. It is that he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole body rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you. Will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruptions. These verses are an ultimate declaration of the security and joy that we have in the Lord. It's the ultimate work of faith that when I yield my mind, my flesh, and my soul to what Christ has accomplished for me, by taking the infinite punishment that was due to me and enduring the cross for me, for bearing my reproach and before God so that I, once an enemy, now my welcome to him, and then the peace that surpasses all understanding overwhelms me. It fills my heart with gladness. Is that regardless of what happens, and he's pointing out even death, regardless of what happens, even death, that God will not abandon me. Uh, And the, the proof of that was Christ's resurrection. Now the theme of the series has been the Psalms of the Messianic, themes, and, and then here we have a mystery brought about by both Peter and Paul as to whether David thought this applied to himself or did he have a prophetic understanding that he saw basically Jesus Christ with this, and not physically Jesus Christ, but knowing that from him would be an eternal king. So let's take a look at what Peter and Paul have to say. The first one is Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32, will make reference, direct reference, to this verse here, to these verses. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. So brothers, I may say to you with confidence that about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So so Peter there gives us an interpretation of that and answers that question of, is that, was David referring to himself or to God, David, is that Peter calls him a prophet, that God spoke to him this, is that he had an inkling, he didn't have all the details, but he had an inkling of this, is that 
Notice that he says that David's in the tomb. David's in the tomb. But one who is a descendant of David is not in the tomb. And that David had some inkling of this. Paul says in Acts 13, 34 through 39, about the resurrection. As for the fact that he was he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So again, David had some understanding and awareness through the covenant that God had made with him, that someone from him would be an eternal king, and yet holding on to the fact that though our bodies will experience corruption, God does not abandon. God does not abandon them. And so... A, a beautiful picture of, of what, if someone says, well, is the resurrection in the Old Testament? And the answer is absolutely, absolutely it's given to us in the Old Testament. So let's finish this up with verse 11. And the, the psalm concludes with this wonderful, and it's a heart-affirming statement that you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If that's your heart, if that's your heart, it is that, it is that you know the path of life. And, and to realize that in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, as we've spoken of here, is there's great pleasures. That, and God says, I am at your right hand. And you have pleasures forever with that. It, it is that, so it, if that's your heart, then I'll ask you right now to join me at the Lord's table. Let's celebrate that here with one another. For the one who gave his life for ours and didn't experience corruption, but lives forevermore as the first fruit of resurrection and the promise to us of eternal life.